this morning, I've chosen this title for the message, and it will make a whole lot more sense by the time I'm done. Undercover boss. Undercover boss. And like, where, where are you going with this, Pastor? Undercover boss. Again, it will make a lot more sense by the time I get to my third or fourth closing. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you that you always hear us when we pray. And this is the confidence that we have in you, that when we pray according to your will, you hear us. And because we know that you hear us, we know we have the petitions we ask of you. Father, I pray for the certainty of knowing that when we pray according to your will, we already have what we ask. For your word declares, now faith is. I pray, God, for your people right now, those desiring a move of God in their lives, that their faith would be now, in this moment, not for a future time, but that we will believe we receive now. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to our anchor text for this morning, which is Hebrews chapter number four, Hebrews chapter number four. Uh, we will begin reading in verse 14. In fact, uh, let's back it up to verse 12. Let's back it up to verse 12 to broaden the context of what we'll be sharing this morning about Prayer. Jesus said it this way as you're turning in your Bibles uh, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer. It is one of the identifying characteristics of a vibrant church that follows Jesus is that that church and its members will be people of prayer, cultivating a disciplined prayer life because prayer is not something you can outsource. It's DIY. It's do it yourself. So we're going to discover a little bit more what the Bible says about prayer as we look to God's word here in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful. When we read these words, these are not just words in print. These are not just words in black and white. This is the very life force of God. Jesus said it this way, the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. The creative force of God resides right here between these lips. The writer of Proverbs said it this way, that life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. That means... You and I can frame our world with our words because the word of God in particular is living and it is active. It's not just words on a page. It is the very life source of God. And that's why I encourage everybody that if you're going to pray effective prayers, prayers that avail much, make sure you're praying the word of God. You just heard me in my prayer, pray 1 John chapter 5. This is what it says. This is the confidence that we have in him, that when we pray according to his will, what is the will of God? The will of God is the word of God. And if I learn to pray according to the word of God, I know that I have the petitions I ask of God. This is what he said in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 12. I, God, 
Watch over my word to perform it. You hear that? God watches over his word on our lips to perform it. So in prayer, it doesn't have to be a guessing game. What you and I do is discover what God has already said and put him in remembrance of his word. And he says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. That's the power of prayer. A lot of times our prayers are ineffective because we're just mumbling and grumbling and complaining and not praying the promises of God. In fact, a lot of times we allow our circumstances to dictate how we pray. And instead of praying the promises of God, we pray our circumstances. Instead of speaking to the mountain, we complain to God about the mountain. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, talk to me about the mountain. He said, speak to the mountain. Speak my word to the mountains in your life. And they will come down. Now, part of the challenge is, for most of us as Christ followers, this is just one of the things we have in our house that collects dust. And we never crack it open to discover all the good and precious promises that are hidden in God's word. I challenge you once again to rediscover God's word and it will revolutionize your prayer life. It will not only revolutionize your prayer life, but it will begin to revolutionize the answers to prayer that you begin to see in your life because God watches over his word to perform it. That's a big, big deal. It is a big, big deal. Sometimes we think that God just responds to bad circumstances and situations. And if that were true, there would never be one poor person, one hurting person in the world. The hand of God is activated by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because we must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God is not a stingy withholder. He is a generous rewarder. But we must respond to God by faith. Faith in his word. And so when the scripture says, well, the word of God is living and it's active, it is one of the tools, one of the gifts that God has given us to change our circumstances through the power of the spoken word. The psalmist said it this way, I believed, therefore have I spoken. You know what that means? That means faith is voice activated. And one of the ways we activate faith is through the words that we use in prayer. Because the word of God is alive. It is alive. Let me reiterate what Jesus said. The words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. That's the key to an effective prayer life is to return to the promises of God because he watches over his word to 
perform it. He desires to do it. I mean, let me, let me tell you, he desires to do it. He desires to do it. In fact, sometimes when I get into my prayer room and my prayer closet, one of the things I say back to God is, but God, you promised. For those of you who have kids, you've heard that more than once. When your child comes to you and says, Daddy, can I get an Xbox One for Christmas? The minute those words part your lips, yes, they will hound you for the next two, three, four, five months, no matter how long. And guess what they remind you of? They remind you of what you promised. As a parent, I have no greater joy than knowing that my children asked and they received. Imperfect as I am, that is the posture of my heart toward my children. How much more, how much more does God want to keep his promise to us? Somehow in our minds, I think subconsciously, we think we're better than God. We can do it for our kids, but, mm, you know, God, he's kind of moody. He promised it in his word, but he really didn't mean it. No, not true. This is the confidence that we have, that when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And because we know he hears us, we know in the now that we have the petitions we ask of him. There's a problem. Uh, do you realize the worst time to learn how to swim is when you're drowning? And that's what most of us do with prayer, though. When we're drowning, we're hoping that somehow somebody will throw, uh, throw us a lifeline. But we haven't cultivated the discipline of prayer. We haven't even uh, uh, invested in the study of God's word so that when trouble comes, it's a lot like uh, we, we put it a Google search, no results found. When trouble comes, we resort to dial a pastor. We ain't got nothing to stand on for ourselves. So pastor becomes the crutch. Pastor, you pray for me. Pastor, you get me out this situation. And we've got people who have been walking with God for years. I would even venture to say decades that are still doing Google searches spiritually, no results found. Because we have not taken the time to fill our hearts with the word of God. And notice what the scripture says. In fact, these are the words in red. Jesus said it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to check somebody's heart health? Just let them start talking. Because the condition of my heart will be revealed in the words that I speak. And when you find a Christian who is constantly speaking defeat and desperation and lack, it means that nothing has been stored in here or whatever was stored in here has run out. And now they're beginning to speak out of the abundance of the heart. Because when life squeezes you, the only thing that's going to come out you is what went into you. And if all that's coming out of you is desperation, if all that's coming out of you is unbelief, if all that's coming out of you is a lack of faith, it's an indication 
of your heart health and that you have not filled your heart with God's word. Dial a pastor should not be your first resort. Listen to what the scripture says in Daniel chapter 11. They that know their God will be strong and they will do exploits. I want you to hear that. Those who know their God will be strong. They will do exploits. And the kind of Christians that we're developing here at City Church are Christians who can stand on their own two feet. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Every now and then, we need each other. But if your whole life, somebody else is propping you up, it's a problem. It's a problem. We have to move on. We have to move on from crawling. Got to stand on our own two feet. And he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and it begins with his word. Verse 12 continues. Verse 12 continues. It says the word of God is living and powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. That is the power of the word, that when I expose my heart, when I expose my life to the word of God, it will pierce even down to my soul and to my spirit. It'll bring some things about me to light. It'll go all the way in. It'll go all the way in. And it says it will even divide. Mm? It will even divide what is of the soul, which is the seat of my will and my emotions and my intellect, and it will separate it. It will divide what is soulish from what is spiritual if I expose my heart to the word of God. And you've heard me say it here before, that an emotion-led life is a miserable life. And most of us go through life allowing our emotions to drag us around, and we never introduce the Word of God to our situation and circumstances so that the Word of God can divide our soulish responses, our emotional and emotive responses from our spiritual responses, which should be the thing that dictates how we live. But we have abandoned the word of God. That's the power of this word. It is alive. And it will divide even the, no, 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 no. And even to the joints and to the marrow. It will touch spirit, soul, and body. Notice, it is also a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It'll examine my motives. Because when we expose ourselves to the word of God, it will let us know every single time we do the right thing for the wrong reasons. In fact, it will keep you, it will keep you from doing the things that externally seem right, but internally the motives are wrong. It is the power of the word of God. But that's not where I wanted to land this morning. I actually wanted to land in verse 14, but verse, verses 12 and 13 help us understand verse 14. Now notice what verse 13 says. Verse 13 says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. <laughs> Ah, God knows and he sees everything. 
nothing hidden. But all things, somebody say all things. <laughs> ah, Y'all remember when I told you a few years ago that our lives exist on three levels? There's my public life. It's what everybody sees. There's my private life that only a few people see. Because my private life is really what I do with my family. That's not public. That's what happens behind closed doors. Apart from the glare of the paparazzi, the scrutiny of people. That's my private life. You have a public life, you have a private life. But let me tell you another part of your life that God is privy to as well. It's not public. It's not private. But it's your secret life. That secret life goes a little bit deeper than what anybody else can see and what everybody else can know. And Scripture says, even that, even the secret places of my life, are naked and they are open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I'm accountable to him even for the secrets that I keep. I hear the secrets that you keep. Bum, bum, bum. There you go, at least one person... At least one person grew up in the 80s. I thought I was going to get a bigger response, man. I hear the secrets that you keep when you're talking in your sleep. Now, say, Pastor Ray, what is that all about? Verses 12 and 13 connect us with our anchor text in verse 14. If you're with me, say amen. Because this is good. I told you, by the time I get to my third or fourth closing, the title of this sermon will make a whole lot of sense. But here we go, verse 14. Oh. So God knows everything about us. Yet verse 14 begins with this word, seeing, or this phrase, seeing then. That we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Say, Pastor Ray, what does that mean? I don't get it. What's the big deal? You gave this big introduction, and now here's verse 14, and it's anticlimactic. I was expecting something more profound. But verse 14 is huge. It's saying, in spite of the fact that everything about me is naked and bare and exposed before God, I still have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let me, let me, let me, let me put this in context for you. Let me be, because the high priest under the old covenant could only come before God once a year on the day of atonement. He was given the inenviable task of presenting the blood of a perfect lamb without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, on the mercy seat. Could only do it once a year. In fact, the high priest had bells around the skirt of his robe. And he had a long rope that he tied around his waist that extended beyond the veil. You know why? <laughs> because if the high priest walked into the Holy of Holies, and let me, let me, there was the outer court, there was the inner court, 
and then there was a holy of holies. Only the high priest, only once a year, could go into the holy of holies. And beyond the veil, there was a veil that separated the inner court from the holy of holies. The holy of holies was where the, the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Shekinah glory of God rested upon the mercy seat. Once a year, the high priest was to bring the perfect sacrifice, sprinkle the blood on the altar for the atonement of the sins of an entire nation. The problem with that, though, was that if the high priest wasn't right, he would drop dead in the presence of a holy God. And this is how the Israelites knew, oh boy, when, they, when the bell stopped ringing. They knew he was dead. And the long rope that he had wrapped around his waist <laughs> was for the priests who served in the inner court to grab that rope and pull him out from beyond the curtain. Because no one but the high priest could get that close to God. It is the reason. Now notice, you had to be perfect under the old covenant to draw near to God. When Jesus died on the cross, notice one of the things that happened. The veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. You know what that means? That means that you and I no longer need a mediator, no longer need an intercessor, no longer need an intermediary that we ourselves, as foul and busted and disgusted as we are, ourselves can draw near to God. Verse 13 says, everything you have ever done or everything you'll ever do is naked before his eyes. But we have a great high priest, though, and his name is Jesus. Let me tell you what that, what that means. Let me tell you why that's important. Because in the book of Hebrews, this is what the scripture says about Jesus. Anybody want to know what Jesus is doing right now? Right now! At 10.58, on September 10th, 2017, right now in this very moment, you want to know what Jesus is doing? The scripture says, he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. No, no, right now in heaven, our faithful high priest is interceding on our behalf. Right now, in spite of everything he knows about you and me, he's interceding on our behalf. I'm not sure if y'all understand the power of that. But let me tell you why. Let me tell you why this is critical. And I'm kind of getting over into theology, and I wanted to keep this a simple Sunday morning service. I'm just saying all of this so that you and I can understand and fully embrace the gift that we have when Jesus invites us to pray. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless, unnecessary pain we bear. All because, 
Let me tell you why. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Do you think that Jesus went through all the trouble that he went through? His body was broken and his blood was shed. Those Old Testament saints longed for the day that they could get that close to the presence of God. But we uh, take it for granted. We take it for granted. We take it for granted. Uh, so, 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 so. It says, because we have this high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. It says, because Jesus is interceding on our behalf, don't give up on your dreams. Don't let go of the promise. Don't throw in the towel prematurely. It says, hold fast until your knuckles turn white because you and I have an intercessor right now who is pleading our case in the heavenlies, who wants to see us win in spite of what we've done. Now, listen, listen to what the scripture says. Two things are happening. Uh, there's someone called Satan. That word means accuser and blasphemer. Jesus lives to intercede on our behalf. Satan lives to accuse us before the Father. The language in the text is of a courtroom discourse and a courtroom dialogue. You have the prosecuting attorney named Satan who has one agenda and one agenda only, to accuse you before God. Yet the Bible says in 1 John, I want you to catch this now. I want you to catch this. Because all we do is win, 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 no matter what. No matter what, we win. But there is an adversary who day and night accuses us before our heavenly father. Acting as though God doesn't already know. Now, is it 1 John? Can you put 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 on the screen? I want y'all to see this because I think it's 1 John 3, 1. I'm calling an audible here. Nope, that's not it. Yep, 2, 1, because I want y'all to see it. <laughs> Let me tell y'all why we win, oh boy, no matter what. Are y'all there? 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, but, and if anybody falls short and misses the mark, y'all know that's the definition of what sin is, right? To miss the mark. If you're aiming at a target and you're consistently missing that target, notice what it says. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He says if the enemy ever puts you in a submission hold where you're about to let go of your dream because of what you did. When he starts to accuse you and tries to make you define your life by your behavior and your actions, he says you have an advocate. 
you have a defense attorney. And can I tell you? That Jesus' track record, Joel, is impeccable. Floyd Mayweather ain't got nothing on Jesus. Talk about 50 and old. In fact, bring your best attorney. Get him to step up to the plate. And my advocate is the GOAT. He is the greatest of all time. Undefeated, undisputed. I ain't talking about, you know, Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Jesus, the very Son of God. He's my advocate. He is my lawyer. He's pleading my case. So the scripture says, because you have Jesus on your side, you ain't got nothing to worry about. It's a fixed fight. It's a done deal. You know why? Uh, uh, because Jesus... Even though he's the advocate, he also happens to be the son of the judge. <laughs> Jesus is good at what he does, though. But he's the judge's son. And he's the judge's son. Uh, uh, the favor that he has with the judge is not just because the judge likes the son uh, in, an, in, a, uh, in a way that is unfair. In fact, the reason the son, the reason my advocate has favor with the judge is because the son righteously fulfilled and satisfied the requirements of the law. Let me, let me, uh, let me tell you why this is significant. In American law, we got something they call double jeopardy. They don't try you for the same crime, right? Twice. If it's true that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, and his father, who was the judge, said his son had to pay the price. No two ways about it. And if Jesus righteously fulfilled the requirements of the law, it don't matter what the accuser says. That's double jeopardy because Jesus already satisfied the requirements of the law. So, so, so knowing that, knowing that, the scripture says hold fast to your profession. Let me tell you that what that word profession means. It's used interchangeably, profession and confession. That's why the words we speak are so important. That word in Greek is homologeo. Homo mean, meaning same. Logeo is where we get the word word or uh, logos. Homologeo. It means same word or it means to same speak. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, don't quit same speaking God. I wonder if you're caught that. Don't stop same speaking God. What does same speaking mean? My army guys can appreciate this because one of the first things we learned in the army was how to march 
how to run according to cadence. So the drill sergeant would step out, and we would be marching or running in formation, and the drill sergeant, all my army people follow along, one mile! One mile. Oh, boy. <laughs> I could tell that's retired army, man. <laughs> She's like, like, one mile! Come on, somebody. Lisa know what I'm talking about, U.S. Air Force in the house, G.I. Jane. Come on, somebody. Huh? Oh, yeah, they rode bikes. They didn't run. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Air Force, man, they're barely on our side, man. No, I'll I, I play, I'll play, I'll play, play, play with you. Long story short, here's the deal. Drill sergeant, get out there. Start the cadence. One mile. Whole platoon. One mile. I can go. I can go. Two miles. Two miles. Through the snow. Through the snow. Three miles. Three miles. I can run. I can run four miles. Four. Come on, somebody. I'm getting my twitch back. Four miles, four miles to the sun. Whatever the drill sergeant said is what we repeated. It wasn't based on my circumstances. It wasn't based on how I felt. It was based singularly on what the drill sergeant said. That means no matter what life throws at me, I same speak God. That's why Paul said in Romans 4, that we can call those things that be not as though they were. He says, when life gets hectic, don't talk about the mountain. Same speak God. What did God say about the mountain? He says, if any of you believe, you can speak to this mountain, and this mountain's going to move. Oh, man, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time to talk about this. Homologeo. What are you saying? It goes back to what we said about the word of God at the very beginning. Because if I don't have the word in my heart, what's going to come out of me is anxiety and confusion and frustration and anger. God don't, God don't play that. God can't do anything with that. But if I speak the word of God over my situations and circumstances, if I begin to call those things that are not as though they were, he, Hebrews chapter, I mean Romans chapter 4, God watches over his word to perform it. That's what we do in prayer. And we persist in prayer until the answer manifests. Now, I got to finish this message because I ain't got time to do it next week. So I'm going to go fast and furious. Verse 15, Hebrews 4 verse 15. Have we fully exhausted verse, no, we haven't. There's more in verse 14, <coughs> but we got to move along. Let's look at verse 15, and then we're going to wrap this thing up, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray some bold, audacious, mountain-moving prayers. Are y'all ready? Justin, just be ready to give me some good church piano at the end of the service. I'm about to wrap this thing up. <clears throat> what did I say? Oh, <clears throat> check this out. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, <laughs> but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Y'all hear, hear what it says? You know why I call this message Undercover Boss? I call it Undercover Boss because of this verse right here. There are certain things that CEOs of major corporations will never understand until they put on that 
fast food uniform. In fact, uh, as I was preparing for this message, I went through all these clips of Undercover Boss. And I saw one clip of Undercover Boss where the CEO of the company, after he spent about 30 minutes in the, in the warehouse, was fired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the guy that he reported to, the foreman, said, hey, man, hey, check this out, man. <clears throat> I got to let you go. And he said, Why? Why, why? He says, because you're unsafe. And if I let you on this forklift, I'm concerned about your safety and the safety of everybody on this team. Yet, he's the decision maker in the company. Had no idea how to work the very company that he runs. Jesus became the undercover boss. So that he could be a God who wasn't distant, but a God who drew near. And when the scripture says he understands our weaknesses, it's because he drew near. And he felt everything you feel. He experienced everything you have ever experienced. The scripture says he was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. There is absolutely nothing that you can struggle through, pray about, be concerned about, be anxious about that he hasn't felt. I'm talking about your advocate and my advocate. I'm talking about the one who is pleading your case and mine before the throne of God. He knows. You watch Undercover Boss, and at the end, the CEO's perspective has totally changed about how the company should be run, about promotions, about benefits. You know why? Because after you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoes, your perspective changes. The reason Jesus intercedes for us is not only because he loves us, it's because he knows. He knows. Ain't nothing you can tell Jesus that he hasn't already felt. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet he was without sin. Can I help you with this? There are three ways that life will tempt us and test us. I got to finish this message because I ain't coming back to it next week. So y'all bear with me. I know that most of us are in a microwave Starbucks. Man, 30 minutes? Hitting on 45. Let me get out of here. And for most of You, this will be the only time you hear any Bible for the next seven days. Yet all you want is 30 minutes. Now, I wonder how far I would get. I ain't talking about you. How far I would get if I was driving every day to Dallas, but I only put less than a quarter tank of gas in my car. That's why most people start acting a fool By Wednesday, because all they wanted was a 30-minute message to sustain them for seven days. And by the time you get to Wednesday, you're cussing your children, cussing your husband, because you empty, because you had one stop at the gas station, but you were too impatient to fill the tank, and now you're running on empty. So I'm going to take my time, and at any point... You decide to leave, 
to do more important things like watch football, watch guys who have made millions of dollars succeed in their life and career while you struggle through life because you won't give attention to the word, be my guest. Roll out at any time. Be my guest. It's up to you. I won't be offended at all. My part is to just faithfully deliver what God has given to me. I'm not going to make any excuses if you don't prioritize the word of God enough to sit through a sermon that you consider long-winded if it's going to sustain you through the week. He was in all points tempted as we are. He said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Jesus didn't have a wife, so he couldn't be tempted with adultery. So what are you talking about? He knows what I'm going through. What the scripture is talking about is... Uh, the enemy strategy uh, that has never changed because everything the enemy throws at us is only in three points. Three points, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Everything that the enemy will ever throw at you will be because of what you see, which ultimately determines what you desire, which ultimately determines what you demand or think that you deserve. The lust of the eyes, what I see, the lust of the flesh, what I demand, and the pride of life, or what I desire, lust of the flesh, what I desire, and pride of life, what I think I deserve. Jesus went through all three. I'm going to go quickly. And then I'll be out of our way. Genesis chapter 3. If you can put Genesis chapter 3 on the screen, I will show you and this will help you. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I'm not going to try to exegete this passage. I'm going to go quickly. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, uh, you know why God told you that? You can't trust him, but you can trust me. God's actually withholding some stuff from you. But if you trust me, I will give you everything your heart desires. God's a withholder. He's keeping stuff from you. He's cramping your style. That's why most people say, well, I'll give my heart to the Lord when I'm old. Because they think that serving God in our youth means that I will miss out on stuff. That's what the devil's telling her. Verse 5 says, for God knows, listen to this, God ain't telling you the whole truth and nothing but the truth because God knows that in the day you eat of, your, eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will know good and evil. The problem with what the Satan is saying is this. The enemy will try to convince you that he can give you something that you don't already have. Weren't they already like God? Weren't they already created in the image and likeness of God? Mm. So here it is. After he threw that at Eve, notice what Eve said. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, it met a physical need. That it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. It looked good. <laughs> My goodness. A lot of things in life look good till you take it home. 
Come on, T-Rock. You know what I'm talking about? I just had a flashback to I'm going to get you, sucker. Took old girl home. Wig came off. Eyeballs came out. Leg came out the socket. There are some things in life that look good until you take it home. It was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Here's the third one. And that it was a tree desirable to make one wise. The pride of life. I deserve this. I deserve to be wiser. Now, in the beginning of time, this is what the enemy did. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. His tactics haven't changed. Go to Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm not going to get through this message. I wanted to, but uh, I think I have reached my capacity. We'll pick it up next week. Luke chapter 4. Sitting on four foes. These is red bottoms. These is blood shoes. <laughs> Don't get comfortable. Y'all looking right? I know what y'all be listening to during the week. I got to stay on top of it. Y'all laughing because y'all know what y'all be listening to. Bodak Yellow. All right, what was I talking about? Let me bring it. Luke chapter 4. Okay, we're about to wrap it up. Luke chapter 4, wrapping it up. Notice what the enemy did with Satan. Look at what he's doing. I mean, with Adam and Eve, look at what he's doing with Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. He was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus, notice Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. But the enemy don't care. He doesn't care how much you've been praying, how much you've been reading about. He's still going to show up, though, and test you. So Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when he had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, come on, somebody. I wish I had time to talk about that whole thing. Because a lot of what the enemy would do, every temptation begins with questioning your identity. Didn't his father just say to him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Satan shows up and the first thing he begins to challenge is how Jesus sees himself. Well, if you're truly the son of God, then you're going to perform a certain way. Uh, anyway, I mean, let me stick to the text. Uh, uh, and if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus was hungry. This would have met a physical need. It is the lust of the flesh. Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Verse 5, then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Somebody say lust of the eyes. Notice what he said. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Somebody say pride of life. Yeah. So when people talk about selling your soul to the devil, the devil will dangle the pride of life. I can give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just worship me. When the scripture says Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin, Jesus dealt with the lust of the eyes. Jesus dealt with the lust of the flesh. Jesus dealt with the pride of life. And the scripture says because he is our undercover boss, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, because he knows, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, 
because he himself was tempted, he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 is where we close. It says, because Jesus was not only our sacrifice, but he is now our advocate. It says, because of these facts, let us therefore come boldly. Let us come boldly. Now listen, then we start by saying there's nothing hidden from him. But in spite of that, it says we should come boldly. Even when I'm not at my best. Even when I fall short. It says Jesus knows. So three points, Jesus hears. Jesus cares because he's been through it. And what's number three? Jesus helps. Jesus helps. Uh, put verse 16 back. Let us therefore boldly come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Two things happen when we come to God. We can find mercy and we can find the grace of God to help us. Maybe you hear this morning and say, man, I, I, Pastor Ray, I really don't need mercy. I've been doing good. I've been living right. I've been making good choices. But I think everybody in this room can, can cry out to God because we need grace to help us in our time of need. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you need. But I know I need some stuff. I need a lot of stuff. I need a lot of stuff that I know I can't do in my own strength. I need help. Notice what the scripture says. That we can find grace to help. Sometimes you just need help. And the scripture says, when I come boldly to the throne of God, and Justin, you can come. What I will find there are two things at God's throne. Not judgment and condemnation, not wrath. When I boldly come to the throne of grace, I will find the mercy of God there. And I will find the grace of God to help me in my time of need. In my time of need. And City Church, I don't know what you need this morning. Maybe you need God to touch your marriage. Maybe you need God to touch you in your physical body. Maybe you just need God to intervene in some way in your life. And you say, God, I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. I, I don't have the wherewithal to do it. This morning, will find grace to help.